AJ, thank you so much for being here today. We're super excited to have you on the podcast. I would love if you could introduce yourself. Thank you. I'm Jay Viner. Uh, I'm an author based out of the Midwest. I currently reside in Omaha. And I specialize in all kinds of speculative fiction uh, and dabble in romance. Amazing. What is your book about? Uh, So my debut novel launched uh, in August of 2022. It's called Jane of Battery Park, and it's a romantic suspense set in Hollywood. Uh, If you think of Romeo and Juliet in a contemporary setting, you have kind of warring families between the two main characters. So Jane uh, is the Juliet character and she comes from the Midwest like me, Uh, except she's got a family that likes to put famous people on trial for their sins, which is definitely not at all like me. Uh, And so she goes out to California, tries to start her life over and she meets Daniel, who is the younger brother of a Hollywood blockbuster movie star. So that's the other side of the family. Uh, war is this kind of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. There's an orgy in like chapter two in Italy. It's gorgeous. Uh, with the, you know, that lifestyle. And so you have kind of what mirrors the very extremes of, of American culture right now um, with two characters trying to fall in love. Uh, and of course, things get a little complicated when their families find out. But I will say that there's no tragic ending. Uh, so you don't have to prepare for that part of Romeo and Juliet. Love that. What inspired you to write your book? So the book was a very long process. Uh, I thought I knew what story I was telling. And then uh, about 10 years later, and many, many redrafts, it was a different story. Uh, And some of that was my choice developing as a writer. And then also some of it was people imposing their will on me as things do when you move into publishing. Uh, But I I started initially, um, I was at a Backspace Writer Conference in 2010, uh, nope, earlier than that, maybe 2008 even. Wow, that's like ancient history. And there's uh, the keynote speaker that year was Donald Moss, who's a famous literary agent. Uh, and he told us that we should write what we're scared of, which is different than the common advice of, you know, write what you know. I was like, well, what, what, what am I scared of? And I was, you know, in my early 20s, I felt pretty invincible, life was going well. And I remember you know, on the airplane coming back from New York and trying to think about, well, what could I possibly write a book about based on fear? But I didn't come up with anything. And then about a couple months later, uh, I came home uh, from my grandmother's house, came into my apartment, turned on the lights and almost stepped on a spider that was about the size of my husband's hand. So giant spider. Uh, And it just totally undermined how I felt about my living situation. It was a third floor apartment is hermetically sealed. There was no reasonable way a spider, let alone one that size, could get into my house. Uh, So I had something that was literally terrifying and I couldn't sleep. I was like stuffing towels under all of the cracks in the doors and like sealing myself in this very small space at night. Uh, And that went on for months. And so it sounds a little bit frivolous. I wrote a novel about being afraid of spiders, but that's where it started. (laughs) And, And then from there, I thought about what it's like to be a Midwestern writer uh, trying to exist in, in coastal cultures and the biases uh, that come with that. Um, I was once on an elevator in New York City and someone found out I was from Nebraska and I asked if I had ever ridden a cow. So I was working with that and I it's not like a fearful thing but I knew that I wanted to write a novel about 
Midwesterner in kind of a mainstream coastal culture. So that was where the book started with extreme spider story and fear. And then this idea of trying to represent a Midwestern person out uh, in California. I love that. That's so awesome. When writing your book, who were you thinking of when it comes to who your book is for? I think initially it was natural to think about the book um, in terms of the people that I knew. So people I had grown up with or the particular culture uh, from the Midwest, especially the Plains states, uh, who would definitely understand um, the culture that my main character, Jane, was coming from, even if they didn't uh, come from that kind of extreme religious family. Uh, so I think I started there and, and then I also wanted to try and make sure that uh, there was something that anyone could really reach for in terms of the emotional trajectory of, of Jane being a woman who is not young enough to have a coming of age moment, uh, but also wasn't really old enough to have a midlife crisis. And so what does that look like um, to just be kind of like the average pop culture age uh, and, and really not have your life together? And I felt like that was a pretty universal story. And there's also a lot of kind of romantic fantasy elements of, well, you you meet a guy in, in a park and, and he likes you and, oh, he turns out to be a movie star. Well, that's, you know, I'm not sure how common that is, but I'm pretty sure that many of us have had that kind of fantasy. Um, and so it's really just kind of fun because it, it sounds like a really serious book, uh, but it, it has all these elements of, of, of kind of emotionally wonderful and enriching things that I really wanted to own as a, as a serious writer. That's amazing. How long have you been writing and what made you really sit down and start to write your book? I've been writing since the early 2000s. I think um, I did not declare an English major in college because my parents uh, were not happy with the English part of my life and they thought it would be a bad career choice. Uh, so instead, I went on to get two master's degrees in English, which I had to pay for myself, uh, which I don't advise doing. Definitely go with the bachelor's degree. It's cheaper. Um, but so I, I think that was when I first knew that I wanted to invest time and energy in writing, even if it wasn't going to be necessarily my career. Uh, I always thought that I would do both side by side and that they would kind of feed each other, uh, which is actually what has ended up happening um, in 2000. 14, I made the decision to get an MFA, um, mostly because I felt like I had stalled in my own craft uh, and based out of Omaha, I didn't feel like there were a lot of options for improvement and it was either, you know, go to very expensive conferences outside the state uh, or get a degree inside the state. Uh, so I'm not saying that you have to get an MFA to be a real writer, but that was the moment where I was like, well, I think I, I know what I'm doing, but I don't know enough at this point. And the MFA ended up being really useful for that. So this novel, Jane of Battery Park, is my thesis uh, novel, although it looks pretty different. Once my editor got a hold of it, I changed quite a bit between graduation and publication, um, but that was essentially what I worked on uh, for a lot of it, even when I was working on other things. I had drafted mm, four revisions coming into school, uh, and then I did several more as a student. Uh, kind of thinking about how it would look from different points of, of view and from genre and all of that. And so I think when I'm thinking about, you know, my stages as a writer, like the self-perception of it, I've always taken myself very seriously. 
but sometimes without uh, good reason. And I think that once I started developing those kinds of skills of seeing how my book fit in a marketplace, that was when uh, it really became real. Amazing. For our listeners who don't know what an MFA is, could you explain that to them? Good. MFA is a, a graduate degree. Right now it's classified as a terminal degree, so it's on the same level as a PhD in English and it stands for Masters of Fine Arts. And you have them in anything that's a fine art, like art, art uh, or music or writing. Uh, and I decided to do that as opposed to a PhD because I wasn't necessarily as interested in teaching the theories or the pedagogies of writing and how that works. Although it's becoming much more common to get a PhD in creative writing. Kind of weird. Amazing. Thank you. Yep. What is your schedule like when you are writing a book? Uh, so I'm a binge writer, uh, which is sometimes good, sometimes not so good. Uh, that means that uh, usually I will spend uh, a month or more taking notes and it's just in my head. I have an idea and I'm developing things internally 24-7. Um, I use the backs of, of library checkout slates, like the things that they stick in for holds. And I have probably 300 or so floating around my house, which drives everyone insane, uh, but it works for me. So I take all these little tiny notes about character, about plot points, about setting. Uh, and so that's my version of an outline, even though it doesn't sound like an outline. And so before I even start like sitting down with word processing, uh, I have a pretty good sense of if not the ending, at least something close to the ending. And I kind of have chunks of it in my head. So I know the first chunk ends here. And then the second chunk is a little bit more fuzzy, but this is gonna happen. And then we're gonna end up here sometime at the end, hopefully under 100,000 words. That's always my goal. Uh, and, and from there, once I actually start writing, uh, <laughs> I will get up before work and work up until the moment I have to leave. Uh, and then sometimes I'll be typing at lunch and I just I just do it all the time until I get through the first draft, uh, which is really hard on my hands, uh, but that's, I just can't, like I, I write, write chronologically, I have to get it out uh, or I lose track of things that I have put away in my unorthodox filing system. Uh, and then once I get the first draft, I usually, very quickly go and I do a second draft because then I catch all the things uh, that I didn't realize I needed or I've been making all these other notes of fix this later. Uh, and because I don't have a long memory, I, I do it right away. So I'm very, very much a feeling instinctual writer, um, which comes with some drawbacks, like you have to go to work uh, and you can't write all the time. Uh, but it is very fast. I do drafts sometimes in less than a month. Um, and then I, this year, I, I even did a draft and a half in a month, which is not advisable. Uh, but after that, there's a breath and I try and leave it alone for at least a week and kind of think about what I've actually done and what I have. And I begin to think about it as an actual thing for other people to read and, and work from there. I love that. That's so unique. What do you need in your writing space to help you stay focused? So I don't have a lot of trouble focusing. Um, which I know is, is not really 
<laughs> useful to other people who are looking for, for writing advice. But I think Jonathan Franzen, who's kind of our, our American uh, grumpy old man in, in literature, uh, you know, has all these lists of things writers need and one of them is no internet connection. I have no problem with an internet connection. Either I need it desperately to figure out the answer to something or I don't even notice it's there. Uh, and I do believe that divergence is a useful thing. So the 10 minutes I spend on social media, uh, you know, that doesn't really bother me as long as it's not derailing, really derailing the process. My cats often come and take a nap when is least wanted, uh, but that's okay. And, and so I think I, because I write so fast, I haven't had to worry so much about distractions and sometimes the way that I write distractions are a useful kind of healthful thing to force me to stop. Uh, so I have, you know, I kind of the opposite of regular people. Amazing. What is your favorite writing snack or drink? So I used to drink tea most religiously as part of starting my writing whatever session. Uh, but I don't anymore because then I just would drink a lot and lot, a lot of tea. Uh, so I just drink water, which is a little bit sad. Uh, but I do usually keep um, something like peanuts or some small snacky thing that I can just sort of chew on. Because uh, otherwise I chew on pens, which doesn't work out very well. Uh, and I try to limit that to certain time frames. So I don't like do it the whole writing session, but sometimes at the beginning as I'm thinking or getting into things or at the end, I allow myself snacks. Uh, but we try to be very careful. I'm in like my thirties now. So snacking has to be a strategic <laughs> decision. It's something that I really want. So the honest thing is that I have hot chocolate o'clock about three o'clock on the days that I'm working remotely and seven o'clock on the days that I'm working in the office and come home. Uh, and it's a whole ritual. And it's like the reward for any kind of work that I've done that day. Uh, and it's immensely soothing to have hot chocolate and my cats have treats and we just sit there for about 20 minutes. I love that. <laughs> um, what books do you personally enjoy reading? So right now I am devouring uh, about five to six romances a month of a variety of subgenres, uh, just because that's what I'm writing in. And so I want to know kind of what's out there and where my book fits. And then also some of them are just really amazing. So then I read them in like two days. Uh, but mostly I gravitate towards um, really fast paced. So like commercial novels, but things that have kind of weightiness so they're not quite literary, but uh, they have um, certain kind of heft to them. For instance, I just finished Claire Holroyal's um, The Effort, uh, which is a pretty fast-paced novel, but it has to do with the threat of a comet hitting Earth and humanity's response to that. So it's entertaining, but it also is what we consider climate fiction. Uh, and I've, I've, for some reason, I'm reading three different climate fiction books right now. Uh, which is not great for your mental health. But it's really interesting to me to think about um, what the future looks like and how people respond and how technology works, our visions of the future. 
Um, so that falls under speculative fiction and probably if I was gonna be honest and count them all, the vast majority of what I read and am satisfied with is speculative fiction. Amazing. Are there any books or authors that inspired you to become a writer? No. So I think I was always going to be a writer, uh, even if there weren't books. So I, I usually identify as a storyteller first uh, and that in my mind space, I do not necessarily write books, I write stories. And whether or not that's film version or TV split into episodes, a book, I, I really just think about characters and plot. And then after the fact, I think about form. Uh, and I started thinking about form. Hmm. In late high school, I read Jennifer Egan's Visit from a Goon Squad, uh, which is an experimental novel in that it's short stories that act as chapters. Uh, and there's a lot of flexibility with time and, and they don't necessarily give you dates. So you don't quite know what time uh, you are in relation to your characters. Uh, and I was really challenged by that novel in terms of how you could tell a story. That was the first time that I really thought, well, what could be done with structure? And what could be done with not necessarily manipulating reader expectations, because we wouldn't call it that, but but subverting a little bit like the, the general expectation of, of what a story could be. And that still has been like one of the biggest things that is exciting to me about writing. So I get the story, storytelling comes pretty easily, but then like the next level of creation is figuring out how you're going to tell it uh, and what kinds of bells and whistles can you add to present things in a different way or a way that might be novel or fresh or exciting to readers. Amazing. What books did you grow up reading? Did you have an all-time favorite? Did not have an all-time favorite. Um, I read a lot of American history books for kids. So the American Girl books series and Dear America series and other similar things like that that I can't remember. Uh, I do very clearly remember uh, mentally rewriting a lot of those endings of books. And that was the first warning sign uh, that I, I, was, I was going to be a, a creative storyteller. Um, Trumpet in the Swan. But those are the main ones. So it's it's strange because I, I what I remember most is history, but I don't read history now. Well, I read nonfiction history, but I don't read historical novels. And I really don't ever want to attempt to write a historical novel. Uh, but that was where I started. And I think, you know, there's something wonderful about learning history through novels, even if it's not necessarily factually correct, but getting a sense of what it was like to live back then. Uh, and probably from there, I went to time travel, which is, you know, speculative and about where I'm at now. I love that. On the other side of that, now as an adult, what are your favorite series or authors that if something comes out, you're going to grab it? I have not yet attached to a series. Um... Mostly, I think, because I, I'll read the first of something and then I kind of diverge and do my own thing in my head. So whatever sequel comes out is never as satisfying as I would like it to be. 
uh, maybe if I started reading them when they're all published, that would be a better strategy. Uh, but I still um, read most things uh, that come out from Jennifer Egan. Um, I'm very much attached to uh, Emily St. John Mandel, uh, who wrote Station Eleven, uh, which is another one of those kind of commercial but weighty um, novels. Um, I read everything by Erin Morgenstern, who's a fantasy speculative writer. She wrote uh, the Night Circus, um, and then more recently, something about bees. I can't remember right now. Uh, so I don't really know how to describe that, except that it, there's a pattern emerging where I've been drawn to these books that kind of marry my two sensibilities of here's a very serious kind of literary person, uh, which I once upon a time thought I was going to be. And then here is this person who actually really likes being entertained and likes things that are fantastical and highly imaginative. So all of those authors have that in common where they, they do very serious things and they write large books, uh, but they do it in a way that's more accessible and pretty entertaining and imaginative than, I don't know, Jonathan Franzen. No offense, anyone who likes Jonathan Franzen. What would you tell someone just starting out with reading again? So I think one of the great things that I love about living in this time and place uh, is the, the very easy way that you can get recommendations from social media without even trying. Uh, the vast majority of the books that I end up reading, uh, the vast majority of book news uh, comes from my social media accounts. Uh, and I think that has been a great way to not only be aware of what's going on, but also to find things I wouldn't normally read. Uh, the second thing that I'm just now getting into is podcasts. Um, so when I was trying to figure out how to read romance, uh, I just subscribed to a bunch of podcasts. And they, you know, by the end of week one, I had a list of 100 books. Because all they do is recommend, you know, the things that they love. And it's awesome to hear about how someone else loves something because then it's, it's contagious. And then you want to love it too. You want to have that feeling as a reader of, of falling in love the way that you heard that other person do. Uh, so that's, you know, my, my to be read pile is, is giant, um, but not overwhelming. It's okay, because they're not going anywhere. Uh, and I think that I, I really love that possibility of, of reaching a lot of different worlds and a lot of different environments through my reading style. Because it is a style, right? It's a curated thing. Uh, it's very easy to fall into reading the same thing over and over. Uh, but I think doing social media and intentionally being like, what kinds of things are people talking about? Maybe what books aren't being noticed as much um, and, and then going from there. It's a great way to start. Amazing. What would you tell someone just starting to write their own book? So this is impossible advice, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Uh, the, I think that the best advice um, from my own experience and also from watching a lot of writers in their process uh, is to find a way to not think about anything but what you're doing. Uh, and I'm not talking about like life things, I'm just talking about like the, all of the inner self-doubts or the, the auto-rejects that, that we do when we're sitting down to be a creative person. 
because there are about a million and a half reasons why you should not spend your time starting to write a book, right? And, and I think we can, we can list them very, very quickly. Uh, and they don't actually matter. And we, we elevate them uh, to our detriment. And so I think trying to find a space where you just really own what you're doing. You'd be like, yep, I'm gonna write today. And that's what I wanna do. And it doesn't matter if it's the wrong thing to do or if people think that uh, you've gone off your rocker or that you have other things that you should be doing. Uh, or you think you're not any good at it. Like none of that actually matters because at some point you thought I would like to write this book or sometimes people think I would like to write a book, which is maybe not such a great idea as writing something that inspires you, but we still do that. And they're both valid, but you have to own that. And I think a lot of people struggle and they kind of think that it's just gonna happen or they get stuck on the, I like the idea of writing a book and then everything else crowds out uh, the rest of it. And I'm very much like, I want the process to be pleasurable. Not like it's not hard work, not like it's like blood, sweat and tears to write a book, but if you're owning that, then it's a totally different thing from you know, every moment of the day thinking, oh, this is terrible. I shouldn't be doing this. Cause then there's no pleasure in it. Then it's like this guilty, terrible thing that, that you're you're pulling out of rocks. But if you own it, that's a different thing and doesn't have to be good and it doesn't have to matter to other people. It's just your own thing. And if you can get through at least one draft in that mind space, I think that's the best kind of writing. And then after that, you can worry about other people and the rest of your life and, and whatever. But the first draft should really just be yours and it should be the thing that you choose to do. And that's it. Love that. So amazing. What's one thing that people are generally surprised to find out about you? <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, I guess the most interesting thing uh, that people, strangers find out is that I was born in Japan and this has been like some kind of weird exotic thing. Uh, starting out with junior, junior high, you know, my fellow classmates who were like, oh, are you Japanese? I'd be like, no, definitely not. And, and then it's kind of spiraled from there where, you know, now as an adult, people know enough, it's like, oh, military or, 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 or religion, right? And then we, we get into two different pathways of what kind of species are you? Uh, and that even though it's not as much of a novelty anymore, people are still always very interested in that in ways that don't quite make sense to me. Love that. Is there anything you would like to say or add? I don't think so. I think I've probably said much more than I intended originally about the writing life and, and owning your work. Um, but I really do believe that. I'm, I'm surrounded by people who want to be writers. And all I hear about is how they don't have time for writing. And, you know, at this point, it's been 10 years of me hearing about how they don't have time for writing. It's like, okay, well, you're clearly making time for something else. Go do that. Uh, and so I get, I really, you know, I want people to do that. You either make the choice to do it or you don't. Uh, and even if it's 10 minutes a day before your kids get up, like it, it is possible to do writing. It's just that we have these ideas about what writing is supposed to be. And it's like this dedicated 
you know, long expanse of time every day. And very few people are, are granted that. Like we have to actually claim space for it. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that I've learned in whatever these 15 years. Um, that regardless of, of pleasure or intention, like actually just owning that you're gonna write a book is a big thing. So true. Where's the best place for readers to find your book? I know some readers love signed copies. Is that an option and the best place to connect with you? Yes, yeah, so there are signed copies as of today um, at the Bookworm uh, Omaha, which is my local independent bookstore. Um, and even if there aren't um, at a future date, you can definitely um, buy one from them and then request that it's signed because I live very close. And they will certainly do that. Uh, you can buy the book otherwise anywhere else. Uh, it just was uploaded on Audible. So now it's officially an Audible book. Um, there's an ebook on all platforms. Of course, I would really like you to buy it from your local bookstore uh, because I think that's really important. Uh, but you can buy it on Amazon if you really need to. Uh, I hang out mostly on Instagram these days. Uh, I am working on TikTok but that's probably not a reliable place to find anything interesting uh, that I'm doing. All of my cat pictures are on Instagram. Uh, I do have a Twitter account, but haven't quite figured that out yet. Thank you so much for being here today. We'll be sure to drop those links in the show notes so that way everyone can find you. And uh, thank you so much for being here today. Okay. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. <laughs>